Thank you for letting me speak to you a few minutes. And if you would, turn to your Bible to Genesis 5. Let's start reading, please, in verse 21. 21. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived a hundred eighty and seven years, and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech seven hundred eighty and two years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of the Methuselah were nine hundred sixty and nine years, and he died. Let's pray together. Lord, I need your help today. As we learned in Sunday school this morning, without your presence... Even the reading of your word is void. But Lord, you have inspired your word. You have superintended over the authors of Scripture and moved upon them with their own personalities and distinct styles to give us the very words that you would have for us this morning. And so I pray that you would speak to us through it. I pray, O God, that you would use me, your servant, to deliver the message that you have laid upon my heart for this hour. Lord, would you bless our time, and would you give us souls at the end of the service who want to be prepared to meet you in eternity. It's our prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. In these brief verses that I just read to you in Genesis, we're introduced to two men. Two men that probably you know, and they have two remarkable characteristics. Enoch, you know, is the first man that was translated without dying. That's what we know Enoch for. And then Methuselah, his son, is famous for being the oldest man who ever lived. How old was he? 969 years. Can you imagine, just a minute, 969 years old? Brother Harris, where are you? You're not there yet, are you? And you get this rap about being the oldest guy in church. Imagine if you were 969 years, almost 1,000 years old. The facts are known to everybody that I just told you, but beyond this, very little is known about these two guys. Each indeed were remarkable in their own right. Enoch, especially, let me start with him, was very interesting. But there's only three passages in the entire Bible that tell us anything about Enoch. And let's start with this one in Genesis chapter 5. According to this passage, Enoch's walk with God began with the birth of his son, Methuselah. Did you notice that? As you might imagine, the birth of a baby does something to a guy. How many of y'all men, do you remember when you had your first child and what it did to you inside? Amen? I can remember. Now, my, both of my boys are grown and gone now. But I can remember we brought Philip into this world. We, we were young and dumb. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We, were, we should not have been married, probably. We should not have been reproducing children. 
But we were having this baby, and I'll never forget going to Knoxville, Tennessee and taking my wife in, and we were three weeks early because of her uh, health condition there, and, and we went into the hospital there at St. Mary's Hospital, and, and we began having this baby, and when Philip popped out, anybody in the room when your baby popped out? Just telling you. I looked, and I, literally I said it out loud, oh, Lord, what have we done Nobody prepared me for that moment when I looked up on his little weird-shaped head and his little discolored body. I thought, man, we have really messed this one up, man. But literally, when we got home and we got that baby to the house, I'll never forget sitting in my office chair and holding him in my arms. And I realized, you know, buddy, it's not about you anymore. It's about this guy. It's about him. And can I tell you, when you have a baby like that, it'll change your life. And I think Enoch was probably the same way. He would just live in an ordinary life before the birth of his son. But when Methuselah came into the world, what a tremendous change that took place. For verse 22 says, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah, 300 years. Now Enoch walked with God in a day of gross wickedness. It was a time when sin had reached a climax and you know the story. It was a time when the the world was so sinful that it was about to culminate in the judgment of a worldwide flood. By the way, do we still believe in the judgment of the worldwide flood? Well, I think it's in the scripture. It was a world in which unrighteousness was abounding and man had reached the, the depths of degradation that, that so much so that God actually stepped in to destroy the entire human race, saving only Noah and his family. It was a time when it seemed like every restraint was thrown off. Scripture says that sin and sinners were multiplied and separation was ignored and hearts were hardened against the Holy Spirit. Sin was honored. Evil was imagined. Violence filled the earth. Man was corrupt. Appetites were unleashed. Marriage was defiled. Materialism was rampant. Conduct was ungodly. And that sounds like 2020, doesn't it? It was not an easy age to be a believer and God saw the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that the imagination of the the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually and it repented the Lord, the Bible says, that he made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Now let me say, in that wicked world, just like then so is ours. You may think that you cannot live in this wicked world. You you say, I I can't live godly in this world. You don't understand the influences that are on me. Well, can I tell you that only 17% of the U.S. population attend church on any any given weekend. 17% of the U.S. population are in church somewhere this weekend. That is a very low percentage. Wouldn't you agree? Very low percentage. People are thinking, I can't live godly in this world anymore. I cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. There is currently less than half the churches today as there was even 100 years ago. We are seeing a complete decline all over the landscape of our country. We have churches that have closed their doors and they've been turned into apartments and houses and storage units and offices and things like that because churches are not making it anymore because 3,500 people are leaving the church every single day in America. Did y'all hear that? 3,500 people a day especially 
young adults. Young adults. That's why this band thrills me so much. I love seeing, seeing them participate in the worship of this church. You may feel pressure to compromise and integrate, and you may think you cannot live godly in a sin-saturated world, but look to Enoch. Enoch is our example because he lived in an age exactly like ours. Jesus compares the last days in which I think we are living to the days that were before the flood, and in those times, Enoch walked with God. The second passage that I want you to turn to this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. This is the second passage that actually deals with, with Enoch's life. Just one single verse, Hebrews eleven five, 5. And in this verse, you're going to see that, that Enoch had a witness or he had a testimony that he what? He pleased God. It is impossible, by the way, to walk with God and not realize that it's our duty to please him. Enoch, please God. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a wonderful epitaph? Y'all know what an epitaph is? You know, I want you to inscribe on your tombstone. Wouldn't it be awesome to see your name, Chris Dotson, your date of your birth, the date of your death, and under that, he pleased God. Well, that was Enoch's testimony. My question to you is, how does a man accomplish that? How does a guy end up pleasing God? Well, there's a verse in Amos that gives us the secret to his success. And here it is. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Enoch walked with God and he pleased God. Why? Because Enoch agreed with the Father. Walking implies agreement. It implies harmony and faith. Sometimes back at our home church, we do a walk run for missions. Y'all do anything like that around here? We had a walk run for missions, and we might do a 5K or something like that. And we have all kinds of people, all the way from wheelchairs, no joke, walkers, all the way up to the runners. And, and what I find is that when we start at, the, fit, start at the, you know, the line, people begin finding out kind of where their, their group is. You know, who's going to be running and who's going to be walking fast and who's just going to be kind of barely making it, you know, and who's going to be riding their wheelchairs around. And, and they kind of get together. And I have noticed that when we do that, that we always end up like with two or three people and we walk together or we run together. And we talk and we fellowship. And can I tell you something? That is exactly what we have here. Because when you walk with God, you have to keep at the pace of God. You can't move forward too fast. You cannot drag behind. Let me tell you, we walk and talk with each other because we have something in common. Sinners and God, however, are going in the opposite direction from one another. Aiming at opposite goals, seeking opposite ends. It is impossible, you see, for a sinner to walk with God. It's impossible for a sinner to enjoy God. It's impossible for him to arrive where God will, will literally unfold his glory before them. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, the scripture says, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. By nature, Enoch was a fallen son of Adam, just like the rest of us, and stood in enmity with God but reconciliation had taken place. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? I know that because he was walking with God and he was pleasing God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
So in light of the impending judgment upon the earth, Enoch had trusted the Savior and walked in his company for 300 years, Genesis 5 said. He lived and moved and acted under the all-seeing eye of God. Walking, you know, not only implies that harmony, but it implies progress, moving toward a finish line. And let me state the obvious. If we are walking together, we must be traveling the same road in the same direction. It's a good message for a church, by the way, that we have to be walking the same road at the same pace, going in the same direction if we're ever going to get there. But here on the individual basis, this is what Enoch did. It suggests their fellowship and conversation as they walked together. Each day Enoch knew that God was with them and they were able to communicate with each other. And Enoch was able to communicate his desire, his fear, his sorrow, what fellowship they must have had. Walking also means that they grew, that he grew in grace and knowledge. And, and let me just tell you something. A lot of churches, I don't see much growth. Not, not in numbers, but in growth in the Lord. It seems like we, we're shallow. Anybody see that? Shallow. Do you know there are 4.4 Bibles in every house in America? Four point, how many do you have? Anybody have more than 4.4 Bibles in your house? Yeah, me too. I've got that many on my smartphone, right? 4.4 Bibles in every house in America, but you know only a quarter people, quarter of the people admit to reading the Scripture regularly at any, any regular interval. And that includes preachers, by the way. Now that's sad, isn't it, you preachers? Studies said that pastors, preachers, only 72% of them only read the Bible to prepare a sermon. That's really sad. How can we ever expect to grow in the Lord if that's what we're doing? But Enoch was different. Enoch walked with God and he developed a deeper abhorrence of sin and a humbler estimation of himself. He walked with the Lord and the Lord revealed his plan to him and he told him about the flood that was coming. And I believe it is with that understanding that the flood was coming, with that expectation that his walk with God was prompted to be closer and closer because he did not know when the flood was coming. Y'all with me? He did not know when the flood was coming, so he walked with God and he pleased God every single day. He knew not what day or not what hour, but this anticipation kept him close to God and his witness great and his work strong. And the third passage I want to look at, and I want you to listen with me, Jude verses 14 and 15. Turn over there with me, Jude verses 14 and 15. These are the last two verses that actually describe Enoch's walk. And this gives us something about his work. It seems that Enoch was a busy preacher. The Bible says there in Jude 14, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Enoch was a witness of righteousness to an unrighteous world. He was, his was a message of imminent judgment. Behold, the Lord cometh. Listen, a lot of times the preachers get a bad rap because they preach judgment and wrath and, and, and the Lord coming. Let me tell you, if, if we don't preach that message, we're missing the mark. We ought to be a preacher of righteousness and telling people that the Lord is coming back and that judgment will follow. And, and for those that don't believe, wrath will ensue. Let me tell you something. A lot of people say, well, where's your message of love? Where's your message of forgiveness? Listen, I love to preach on the doctrines of love, and I love to preach on the forgiveness of Christ. But here's what I have learned. A message of love is squandered apart from a message of judgment. We cast our pearls before the swine if we tell people that they can be forgiven and that God loves them before we tell them that they are sinners and help them to understand that they are lost and undone without God. How can we do that? You 
You say, I could never preach that hard. I could never talk to my neighbor like that, that judgment is coming, that Christ is coming. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't do that, then we are really letting the people that are around us down because that is necessary. We're not a slave to the ear-tickling demands of people. Rather, we're a servant of the Almighty God that are, that are demanded to give His message as He has given it. Let me tell you, when I, when I think about what the Lord has done for me and when I think about His message in Scripture, we don't have time to go through you know, pop culture theology and self-help theology. and We don't have time to talk about humanistic psychology. And you know, Let me tell you, all those things are fine and well, you know, how to have a better this and how to live a better whatever. All of that is fine and well in its place, but I'm going to tell you time is short and we better be preaching the message that needs to be preached. Today, the same conditions you see are being repeated. And we've got to declare it. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Did you notice that in verses 14 and 15? How many times did he say ungodly right there? I think he has a purpose here. These are ungodly people doing ungodly things in an ungodly way. This was an unmistakable message that judgment was coming. And let me ask you this question. Was it received well? No. You listen to me. It was not received well by and large. Obviously, even Noah, his great-grandson, would preach these same truths for 120 years. And how many converts did he have? What size church did he end up with? Eight people, including himself. Can I tell you something? We must be faithful to our calling regardless, and whether they hear or whether they will forbear, yet shall they know that there's been a prophet among them. That's what the book of Ezekiel says. Each day Enoch walked with God wandering and waiting and one day they were walking together one day they were walking together in the cool of the evening and the Lord said you know what Enoch it's just as close to my house as it is to yours why don't you just come home with me tonight and as Enoch took his next step there was nothing but air beneath him and Enoch was translated for God took him without dying he, he did not have to go through Death's River, but he was carried across in the arms of his Lord. And that night, Enoch didn't return home. Oh, would you like to have been there? Enoch did not return home. That night, he wasn't out preaching as usual. And if you'll allow me a little latitude here, no doubt, I, I, I think he probably went out in the community and preached, according to Jude, a preacher of righteousness, that the Lord is coming and, and he's going to execute judgment and he's coming with 10,000s of his saints. And, and one day, one day, I, I'd say that people just began to get tired of it and they started poking at him. They kind of, you know, gathered around and, and started heckling him a little bit. And, and can I tell you something? I, I would say that eventually people would come out customarily to hear the old fool, you know, that's probably what they called him, the old fool preach because that was entertainment. They didn't have TV. They didn't have Netflix and, and YouTube back then. And so they'd come out to hear him preach and they'd bring their chair in a bag. Y'all, y'all have a chair in a bag? You know what I'm talking about? And they'd bring their coolers and they'd sit out there all evening and they'd listen to him and they would just make fun and poke at him. And, but that night he was not found. They searched for him. How do you know that? Because the Bible says that he was not found. They searched for him. 
I can imagine they went to his house and they knocked on the door and Mrs. Enoch opened the door and, and they said, have you seen Enoch? And he said, no, he left for work this morning. He had his dinner bucket and his Bible under his arm. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know where he is. Normally he would be out in town preaching. Is he not there? No, he didn't come. Well, I don't know. So the family went out and looked for him. The FBI was dispatched, but he was gone without a trace. Why? Because Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. Well, Jesus said, For as in the days that were before the flood, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And one of these days the church, like Enoch, will be caught away. One of these days the church will be caught up. The apostle Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The world will awaken to find every believer gone. Do you believe it? No one will be left to pray. No one will be left to preach. Nobody will be left to warn. And if you're unsaved this morning, you'll be facing in the tribulation the judgment of the Almighty God of which the flood was only a preview of what would be poured out. And I believe that day is near. Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Surely I come quickly. The day is sooner than you think. It could happen before we leave this place this morning. Do you believe that? When the church like Enoch will rise to meet the Lord to walk with him in white. Are you ready? That was pretty weak, church. Are you ready? Amen. Amen. Ready to go. The Bible says the Lord himself shall descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Enoch's translation is a type of the rapture of the church, and I'm excited for that. Can you give me just a few more minutes? You see on the screen the subject I want to talk to you about is when God waited. Now, no doubt Enoch was curious as to the coming of the Lord. When would it take place? When would judgment be executed? And so God told him that before, before Enoch was translated that the flood would come. And that probably satisfied Enoch for a while, but Enoch still wanted to know more. And the disciples, as did the disciples in Matthew chapter 24, when they said, when shall these things be and what are the signs of your coming? And you remember even then Jesus didn't give them dates, he gave them signs. Right? He didn't give them dates. He gave them signs. And the Lord gave Enoch a sign. You're going to like this. The Lord gave Enoch a sign. You say, how do you know that? Well, back in Genesis chapter 5, we know that Enoch began to walk with God. At what point? When his son was born. Methuselah was the sign. You say, how so? Well, Methuselah, the name Methuselah is a compound word in the Hebrew language. And here's what it means. When he is gone, it shall come. When he is gone, it shall come. What an odd name. When will judgment come? Well, it'll come when Methuselah is gone. This divine revelation was memorialized 
in the name of this man. Now hang on. Each time Enoch called his son's name, he would be reminded that the Lord told him as long as Methuselah lived, judgment would be postponed. No wonder Enoch's life was changed. He lived in the life of the frailty of his own son. Anybody in this room ever have a sick child? Anybody? You ever had to take them to the hospital? Mamas, have you ever nursed them way in the night and their fever high and you couldn't get it down? I'm sure that Enoch looked at his baby and he wondered, would he live a day? Would he live a month? Would he live a year, decades, scores of years, centuries? How long would Methuselah live with every cold and sniffle and childhood disease? He wondered if this would be the end. But isn't it interesting that Methuselah lived to be the oldest person who ever lived? You see, his age, 969 years, you say, do you really believe he was 969 years? Absolutely, as much as I believe I'm 48 years old standing here today. 969 years. It has more to do, listen, with the character of God than it does anything else. Some say his longevity in life was the consequence of a superior climate before the flood. Some say it was the pre-flood environmental conditions or maybe a healthier diet because they didn't have McDonald's in every corner back then, you know. Each day, though, Methuselah lived, each day he lived, was a testimony to God's grace and mercy and his patience. The longer he lived, the longer the day of grace. Y'all beginning to follow me? This is why Methuselah lived so long. Isn't it awesome that the demonstration of God's long suffering to man was the measure, was the, to measure the breadth of the world's probation? It was, and this man was permitted to live longer than anyone else. That shows that God is loving, that he is patient, that he's not willing that any should perish. So much so that this dude was living almost a thousand years. Waiting for one more person to repent. I think sin was full in those days and the flood was due. But in long-suffering patience, God extended the day of grace. You know, the scripture says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit, but which also he went and preached in the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient. Now listen, when once the long-suffering of God waited. Can I read that again? When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing. God waited. Isn't that awesome? Just to think. Let me give you some Bible math. Methuselah was 187 years old when his son Lamech was born. Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son and called his name Noah. That's 369 years. Now in Genesis 7:11, the Bible says in the, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open, Methuselah was 369 years old when Noah was born and Noah was 600 years old when the flood came that would make Methuselah 
969 years old. And the Bible says the same day God's wrath came like a javelin from heaven. Imagine with me, again, a little imagination. The whole town had gathered to celebrate the birth of the oldest man in the world. 969th birthday of the oldest man in the world. They had balloons. (laughs) They had the birthday cake with all of the candles. Can you imagine? They had the hamburgers ready to cook out. Everything was according to plan. But during the celebration, the reporters were there taking their notes. They were writing their stories. But as they did, another unusual phenomenon began over there. In the distance, the sky began to get dark. It had not rained ever to this point. But there were clouds beginning to form. The sun was beginning to be hid. And all the while, all the while, while they were looking up into the sky to see this thing that they had never seen before, the, the, just the clouds billowing and blackening and moving. And you all know what a storm looks like as it brews in. And while they were looking up, perhaps the guest of honor, Methuselah himself, his breathing became shallow and slow until it stopped. Not even noticing, the clouds began to continue to billow and the lightning flash and the thunder roll. And seven days earlier, Noah had gone into the ark and shut the door behind the door was shut behind him and that day the hand of omnipotence slammed the door shut on the day of grace are y'all listening this morning the earth trembled and the fountains of the deep began to open up and the same day the windows of heaven were open and the storms of God's wrath were poured out for 969 years. God had extended grace to a wicked generation. He had offered mercy to sinners. He had extended a hand of salvation to them but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against the people till there was no remedy and if you don't get anything out of this preacher's message you listen to this God's patience is long but it is limited can I say it again God's patience is long but it is limited people say all the time that the second coming is past due you you Christians you've been saying the Lord is coming back the Lord is coming back Well, let me tell you, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy the brightness of his coming. Can I tell you, the storm of divine wrath is almost ready to burst upon this world that is filled with sin. I know it is, but there is one thing holding back the wrath of the Almighty. Can I tell you what it is? It's His patience. It's His long-suffering nature. Finally, would you turn with me back to 2 Peter chapter 3, and this is where we're going to finish. Don't worry, I'm just about done. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Look with me, would you? 
knowing this first, read the passage as I read it aloud, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. There's always people making fun, aren't they? They think we're crazy for meeting here on Sunday morning. There's always scoffers in the last days, walking after their own lust. Here's what they say, where's the promise of his coming? Where is it? Since the fathers fell asleep, you, you, things are just the same way as they, they have always been from the beginning of the creation. Things are just like they've always been. Church, you're, you're crazy for keeping the, you know, for continuing to say the Lord's coming back. I mean, you people have been saying that for 2,000 years, that the Lord is coming back. If he was going to come, he would come already. Things are continuing as they are. Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. By the way, we still believe that, right? But the heavens and the earth, which are now this heaven, this earth that we experience right now in our lifetime by the same word of God, are kept in store, reserved unto what? Not a flood of water. We have the rainbow to say there's not going to be another flood of water. But what are we going to have? It's reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant. He, he says, don't be unlearned about this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In the days of Methuselah, there was a day of grace almost a thousand years. And I tell you, it's just been a couple of days in the eyes of the Lord since the, the Savior was ascended back unto the Father. But here's one thing we know, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. You ought to underline that. He's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering. But even though He is long-suffering, even though His patience is long, the day of the Lord will come, verse 10, as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be? You're listening, aren't you? Knowing that one day this world is about to come to an end, knowing that everything that's left here one day will be destroyed. What manner of living ought we to have? We ought to walk as Enoch did every day anticipating the judgment. Verse 11, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness looking for and hasting the coming of the day of the Lord wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we according to His promise... Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And here's where we're going to quit reading. Look in verse 15. An account, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The patience, the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Let me put this in context as I finish. God can be holy and not save a soul. Y'all believe that? 
It's by grace and mercy that He saves us. He could be holy and never save anyone. God could be omnipotent and never save a soul. That is, He could be all-powerful. God could be just and righteous and good and not save a person because, quite honestly, everything that we would get in hell, we deserve. Can I say it again? Everything we would get in hell, we deserve. Do you all believe that? So he could, be judge, he could be just and righteous and good. But aren't you glad that he is long-suffering, that he is patient toward us, and that is for our salvation? So why has he not returned yet? Well, I'm going to make you a promise today. The Lord has not come today because he's waiting on you to be saved. He's waiting on you to come to Christ. He's waiting on you to repent of your sins and to begin walking with God. You say, preacher, how are we assured that he is coming? Listen, God's patience is long, but it is not limited. Don't be ignorant. The passage we read just said, don't be unlearned about these things. He is waiting. While many are mocking him, he's waiting for you. The judgment of God may be slow, but it is sure. It is sure. Let's stand at our feet, please, all over the house as we pray. I want to thank you for spending some time with me this morning in the Word. With every head bowed and eyes closed, would you listen carefully? We'll have an invitation if they could just come and play just a little music this morning and just let me say a few more things. Listen. First of all, let me talk to the church just a minute. The church, you Christian people, you believers, you all have nodded and agreed and amen that time is short, that Jesus is coming. It could be today. You say all those things could be the case. Well, may I ask you this question? How fervently are you praying? How earnestly are you walking? Who would you want to be saved? Do you have a son or a daughter, a husband or wife that needs the Lord? Hey, Christian, church member, believer, let me ask you this question. Do you have a buddy at school that needs the Lord? Do you, are you concerned about a niece or nephew that's addicted to drugs? Well, I want to start with you this morning. Church, if you don't have a burden for lost people, how can we expect the lost to have a burden for their own soul? And I'm going to ask you, church folks, to get up out of your feet, out of your seat right now, to walk out and come to this altar and begin praying for that person that you love, that person that you're concerned about, that son, that daughter, that husband, that wife, that niece or nephew, maybe a mom or dad. Come on, don't wait. Sir, ma'am, who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to pray for? Time is short. Time is short. It's running out. I'm talking to the church right now. I'm talking to the believers. I'm talking about people having interest in souls to come and pray. Lord, help us to win somebody to Jesus. And now, with these coming and praying, with these coming and praying, I'm, I am guessing that maybe some of these people are even praying for you. Listen, young man, Young man, young lady, these people may be praying for you. They want you to be saved. 
I, I don't care if you're 8 or 10 or 12 or 15 or 19 or 23 or 30. I don't care what age you are. If you've not been saved, you ought to be saved this morning. You ought to have your sins forgiven. You ought to repent of that. Time is running out. Judgment is coming. You need to, like Enoch, walk with God hand in hand every day, living in a way that would please Him. And so I'm asking you right now, right now, while these are still here praying, before they even get up, would you come? Sir, ma'am, little boy, little girl, young man, young lady, would you come? I need to be saved this morning. Now's the time to come. Now's the time to come. I, if you've not been saved, if you need to have your sins forgiven, why don't you come right now? Why don't you come? Thank you so much. I see some coming, preacher. Who else needs to come? Who else needs to come? Who else needs to come? Before I leave this place, I want to be saved. I want to know that my name is written in heaven, that, that I am ready to meet God when the storm of judgment begins to be poured out upon planet earth, that I'm ready to go. Who else? Thank you, sir. Who else needs to come? Who else? Repent of your sins. Put your faith in the Savior. Who else needs to come? Young man, would you come? Young lady, what's holding you back? to pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for grace and mercy and patience that you are long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should repent, not any that should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, I pray today that someone this morning would come and be saved. I pray, Lord, for those that are here praying for their loved ones, that you would send the Holy Spirit as a minister of your grace through them as they witness, even today, perhaps, as they leave this place and make those phone calls and make those visits to bring people into a relationship. Time is running out, Lord. Please use us. We beg you. We need you today. Oh, Father, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. 